Mini episode 1217 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1217. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. And when it comes time for springtime, they talk about a tradition like no other, but uh, forget the Masters because it's not even happening in the spring this year. The tradition like no other that I'm referring to is conferring on this show with two other FDH Lounge original dignitaries, Jason Jones and Chris Galloway, to preview the NFL draft. We've been doing this for years now. We're going to get into the 2020 NFL Draft uh, specifically here today, and uh, a very, very unique one under the circumstances as far as how the presentation goes. We'll get into that. We'll get into the players that are going to be uh, going here, some some of the most uh, interesting ones in this draft and most uh, talented ones, a freakish athletic draft at many positions, especially at the uh, top levels. So we'll get into all of that. Uh, The man who is the senior editor of FDH and whose coverage is most strongly important in powering our annual Pro Football Draftology Guide, which will be out right about the time that you're hearing this on the front page at FantasyDraftHelp.com and the FDHLounge.com. Jason Jones, the man with our player ratings, our top 75 overall, a mock draft on there along with mine. It's always interesting as me and him go head-to-head on our mock drafts here, as we will again this year. Jason Jones, the man making it happen, pro football draft-wise at FDH. How you doing, my man? Uh, not too bad. Uh, it's a lovely day out here. But, um, yeah, this is a different draft in more ways than one because I got questions about most of the field, to be honest with you. Well, we'll get into all of that. I have questions as well. Uh, you, of course, coming at it from the proverbial FDH Western office in the greater Denver area, but uh, back along America's north coast, with me, uh, a man that I have talked football with on the show countless times. He's always on for our draft previews and recaps, and uh, we do some other things here from time to time as well, including our recent two-part series on the Cleveland Browns, looking back at the big flop of 2019, hoping to get itself going in gear in 2020. My man, Chris Galloway. Chris, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well, Rick. Uh, It's good to talk with you, gentlemen. Uh, Another year, another draft. A little different this year, but it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to make it a little extra fun for those of us uh, uh, Uber fans and uh, super uh, nerdy uh, draft nicks like ourselves, because uh, for once it's going to feel like the, the NFL teams and their front offices are going to be in the same boat that we are, huddled over our, huddled over our laptops and computers in front of our TVs, uh, maybe on the phone and checking out Twitter, uh, just like us. They're going to be just like us. Absolutely. I, and I, and I got to tell you, I don't want, I'm so tired of hearing them whine about it. Yeah. Uh, with, with the technology that's available now, there is absolutely, other than not being in the same room, all in one room, there is no difference for these guys. You work the, 
phone, you work, you work the drag, your board is on your computer, um, you know, there's no difference here. And you're just going to have all your people together on a big conference call, maybe a, maybe a Zoom or something like that. Um, a little different feel, but everything's still there at your fingertips. So, frankly, I'm, I'm tired of listening to NFL guys whine. Well, you know, yeah. That's true. That's true. You know, and uh, contrary to what Kyrie Irving said about uh, the world being uh, flat, uh, to to this point, uh, Chris, for for the 2020 draft and these purposes, technology-wise, it sort of is. Kyrie Irving, a man ahead of his time, because the Earth is flat as far as how it pertains to how all of us are watching and navigating and participating in the NFL draft this year. Well, it's true, and. Uh... I think that's what's going to make it more fun for the likes of us, um, and, uh, and, and maybe maybe not as fun for the for the teams, but certainly more interesting for all of us to observe and watch uh, in real time. I'm hoping, as you and I previously discussed on a recent episode, uh, that um, in fact we end up getting a lot less of the fluff. You know, we won't be subjected to the Michael Irvin interviews uh, and things like that. On like we have. To on TV, I'm hoping that we get a lot more of the meat sandwich in terms of uh, more, more data, more info, more analytics. That would be better. I hope so as well. And I, I have to mention this to you also, Chris, you being the newly minted uh, chief futurist of the FDH Lounge, but you are also one of our chief historians here in the Lounge, not just sports-wise, but all the way around. You know, the great, great, great irony of the last year in the NFL, this whole thing, it's our, it's our centennial, we're going to hob our own knob, talking about 100 years of NFL football. Well, what was happening right as the NFL was coming into being? The worst pandemic in this country prior to the one that we're in, the Spanish flu, in its final wind down in the year 1920. Here we are 100 years later, and the NFL appears to have manifested a sequel. Thanks, Roger Goodell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm okay with it. Yeah. I'm perfectly fine with it. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, thought we'd have a little bit of fun with that before we get started. But, uh, yeah, this is an, a very, very, very interesting one because, uh, again, the presentation of it is going to be far different. As, as far as when you get into the, the draft class itself, there's not much that necessarily really sets it aside from past drafts, and I'll start with you, Jason, on this one here, that you, you've got a couple of guys at quarterback that, uh, I mean, that's that's always the story. Are there guys that project as franchise quarterbacks? Yeah, you can check that box off. This is another great wide receiver class like we've seen the last couple of years. This one potentially neck and neck with 2014, which is interesting because I was saying that a year ago, and this wide receiver class might be even better than the class of 2019. But uh, some other positions of uh, strength here as well. Uh, a lot of good pass rushers, certainly in this draft. Some primo left tackles. That's always a position of great desire. But uh, circling back around to the quarterbacks here, the one slam dunk guy, uh, I have to gravy train here and say Athens County's own Joe Burrows. Uh, <laughs> you, you knew that was coming, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can now say, Jason, I have called high school football games in a stadium named after a Heisman Trophy winner, albeit I called those high school games well before said Heisman Trophy winner was born, but that's another story for another day. But, uh, <laughs> but you got 
You got Joe Burrow uh, there pretty much at the top of the draft. Good old Tua would have been right there with him, neck and neck. How ironic is it that it was said, oh, Miami's going to tank for Tua. Not only did Miami not tank because they were the most respectable 5-11 and team you've ever seen because they had no talent whatsoever for the most part on that roster, they're sitting there at 5 and they may or may not take him because of the hip questions that they had there. So Burrow and Tua at the top, you, you have not far behind that. Uh, Herbert, and uh, you, you've got Jordan Love slotting in as the number four guy, pretty much consensus-wise, at quarterback there. So when you start getting into this, whether it be the top flight quarterbacks that are there, top other positions uh, that we've seen the likes of in recent years, we've seen some good uh, defensive end and wide receiver classes, you start getting into the, the draft itself, and it starts to look fairly familiar with what we've seen in past years, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of an ongoing theme this year with most of it, is that conceptually it's not all that unfamiliar to us. Um, however, within all of that, there are still some subtle wrinkles that may need to be addressed. And one of them is, quite frankly, and I don't mean to rain on Joe Burrow's parade, but mm-hmm. if Joe is completely healthy, yeah. I think this comes down to a, a, a choice of preference at one. Sure. And I think it could have very easily been a situation where it's Joe Burrow has an impressive, impressive body of work, and, and especially just the one year. Whereas two of might have appealed to teams that are more looking for a little bit more athleticism or, you know, a different, more dynamic arm or whatever. Uh, but we're not going to see that because they can't get two in the building, which is just what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got that situation where if you're a team that's picking, let's just say hypothetically you're picking a two and you need a quarterback, you're probably perfectly happy. It, it could have been an Andrew Love RG3 situation. Um, I think it doesn't pan out the way that that one did. But, uh, so it's a, it's a little weird, but uh, I, think it's, I think everyone in the world takes his joker at one think so, yeah, with Chase Young at two and, and Okuda at three, and that's going to get into something you and I talked about off air. We'll get to that momentarily. I want to get Chris's thoughts on this. Do you agree, Chris, that conceptually this kind of sets up a lot the same as what we've seen in past years, even right down to there are not really any running backs that are deemed to go uh, necessarily even in the first round. Somebody might sneak in toward the end of the first round, and again, there's always strengths and weaknesses in drafts different years. This is not a great year at either linebacker position, but you're going to have that. You have some years where it's stronger. I know last year a lot of great defensive tackles. This year it's a little more average. This year it's more on the pass rushers. Quarterbacks are a constant. Do you agree, Chris, that conceptually this, this sort of looks like a familiar type draft to what we've seen the last couple of years? I would say conceptually it's pretty vanilla. Mm-hmm. I don't really expect anything unusual out of it. There'll be a run on quarterbacks in the top ten. I think the top four quarterbacks will be people will be excited and try to move up to get them because they're always at a premium. And then there'll be that uh, you know that second and third round if we're trying to find the value a quarterback that maybe they can develop. There's no running backs I would be taking in the first round um, in this draft. And to your point, you know maybe offensive tackles will strengthen this year where years past maybe it wasn't. Linebackers weaker, so that's all cyclical. So it's it's pretty much it's pretty much vanilla in that regard. Um, I don't think this draft gets very interesting until we get 
terms of the Detroit Lions, with what they are likely to do, I think they are going to end up owing royalties to the Cleveland Browns because the Cleveland Browns invented and patented over the last 20 years the concept of create a hole, fill a hole. You don't fill the holes that you have out there. You create a hole, and then you fill it in the draft. They let their superstar cornerback go. It looks like they're going to draft Jeffrey Akuda to select him. They should be sending a royalty check to Berea, Ohio, because that's stealing from the Browns' intellectual property, such as it is, if they do that. But you look at it, Burrow 1, Young 2, Okuda 3. That's what a lot of us think is most likely. I know you've indicated, Chris, you think that there's a little bit of a potential uh, for the Lions to go a different way, and perhaps they will. And the thing that, again, the, the curveball in all of this is there are some mock drafts that have Tua going at 2 to Washington, which then throws everything else off. But all things being equal, Jason and I were talking about this off air. I want to get more of his thoughts on air, but I want to ask you as well. To me, the worst spot to be in, the sucks-to-be-you spot of the 2020 NFL Draft is number four with the Giants because you're going to get the same value roughly there that you might get another, say, 10 picks later. It feels like the start of another tier of value there at number four. Do you kind of agree with that? I think that's generally correct. I think the only, the only, the only reason why it's worth being in that four spot is uh, for two reasons that the, the Giants in two positions they come in. Um, they really like Isaiah Simmons. So he, that would be the, he's not going off the board, or at least it's a very unlikely he goes off the board before number four. Yeah. So you're going to get your pick. And then you also, you're in need of a tackle, um, either for left or right side. Um, and that still is, puts you in the same position. You get to choose um, which tackle you like. Because it's very unlikely that one will be gone before four uh, with the interest in those other previously mentioned players. So I honestly agree with that. Uh, I think the Giants are actually sort of in the last spot in terms of value because, because of the two positions they covet, they're basically going to get their choice uh, depending on which one they, they value higher, uh, that safety linebacker in Simmons or the left tackle. And that is an interesting point, and uh, to that point, Jason, uh, again, I suppose that would be the other side of the coin. We're sitting here looking at it like you're going to get the same player there that you would later, but on, on the other hand, if there's anybody that you really like out of those first three, you're going to have your, your, your chance to get them. If there's anybody that wants to trade up for a quarterback or any of the players that are there, you have you know some, some opportunities to, to trade back a little bit if you want to, so... I mean, it doesn't suck completely for the Giants, but the combination of the Giants having Dave Gettleman, who's made weird picks the last couple of years, and being in that spot would not make me very comfortable if I was a fan of Big Blue, God forbid. Yeah, um, it's definitely an interesting situation to be in. And uh, the other little wrinkle is, you know, what happens right, right after that. Because if there's any sense that either Miami or San Diego, um, or Los Angeles, whatever we're calling them, um, we, has a quarterback they love, and they don't want the third man out. So if, let's just say hypothetically the Chargers want Tua. If you're the Lions, might be worth entertaining, dropping back the six because Akuda might still be there. And if you're the Giants and you don't absolutely love one tackle over the rest, then maybe you could, or maybe they could drop back two spots uh, and, and really jazz things up a little bit. But yeah, it's just, um, 
the Reddit layers is interesting because after three, I agree with you, Rick. I think the value between four and 12, 13-ish are relatively similar because in that stretch of picks, I think we're likely to see two quarterbacks, maybe two to three offensive tackles. So if you don't love one above all else, you really could you know, replenish the pantry a little bit if someone like Miami or the Chargers are willing to jump up all of two to three spots. Yeah, and uh, again, there are any number of teams that could be very interesting in these spots here because of how their needs coincide with what is available. And specifically, again, as I mentioned before, we did not one but two many episodes on the recent history, good, bad, and ugly, uh, mostly bad and ugly leading up to the present time, which hopefully is going to be good with the Cleveland Browns. So Chris and I have already uh, tackled this uh, for the most part here, but sitting there at 10, one of the things that makes it very interesting about where they're at is the question of whether Isaiah Simmons might fall to them at 10, because not only could they use him, I mean, name me a team in the league that couldn't use a guy like that, a guy who projects as a multiple, multiple-time Pro Bowl player, if healthy, with his skill set, but few teams are as bereft of linebackers right now as the Cleveland Browns, so it's a huge area of need. So, too, of course, is left tackle, uh, which has been the old revolving door since Joe Thomas retired. So you're looking at a situation, I'll start with you, Chris, where sitting at 10 there, uh, the Browns are one of the teams that's very interesting. If Simmons is there, you have to think there's a very good chance they're going to take him. Otherwise, maybe one of the big four tackles. There's been talk that they might not like Becton. I don't know if it's for the reasons that you had uh, identified last time out. You made a very good point about he might be a little bit too big visually to play in front of a smaller guy like Baker could disrupt the passing lanes as far as is seeing around him, so to speak. Probably more so the questions about potentially failing a drug test, his weight, those kind of things might keep him from being in a Browns uniform. But regardless, the Browns at 10 look like one of the more interesting teams, certainly if Simmons is still there. I think if Simmons is still there, you have to take him. Yes. And then you figure out how to address tackle later. Yep. Uh, and we know that the Browns, or at least the, the hot rumor is that they are high on Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State, and yep. I understand why. Uh, so I think the Browns are going to be very fluid in that 10 spot. I think if Simmons is there or the, or the tackle they want, um, and I my guess is, and we don't know that most teams, whenever we get into these position uh, rankings going into the draft, we always hear the, uh, the media apparatus say, like, well, you know, he's got these four, and, and then, you know, if they don't, if, you know, cover the sport, if they're not there, they can get another one. But we all know these have a preference, right? They right. Don't have, it's rare when they're going to have four tackles all basically rated the same and like them all. Right. right? They're going to have one guy, maybe two, that they really like, and then the rest are either very, you know, something like Beckton is probably off their board at this point, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, they may have guys that like Cleveland that they like, but they're like, boy, we can get him later in the first round. So I think they're going to be very fluid. If, Simmons is there, they grab him. If the tackle, their number one tackle on their board is there, they'll take him. Um, if either of those things aren't the case, you know, they'll look to move back. They'll look to trade back with Denver or one of these other teams back into the late teens, early 20s, grab Ezra Cleveland, grab more picks in the process. If that's what presents itself. But I also wouldn't put it past them to say, oh, okay. Well, let's just go ahead and grab that Jerry Judy 
guy since we've got him second on our board. Um, that's how most of the analytics works. And, uh, you know, what if a guy like Kinlaw is there? Uh, there are other options that they could choose to, if they can't get the right deal to even drop back. Um, there's another player there that they may go ahead and just take because they like him a lot. Um, that they didn't think that they'd be in a position to, and they couldn't get the value to drop down. That said, if they end up taking a non-tackle at 10 uh, and not dropping down, I would expect them still to work their way up from 41 uh, to find a way to get uh, somebody like Ezra Cleveland uh, late in the first round to get back up and in. You would certainly hope so on that. You mentioned something about Jerry Judy. I want to get to that probably on, on the next uh, question here because of some thoughts about where he might go. Uh, to me, he's the best wide receiver of the last couple of years to come out. But, Jason, thoughts on the Browns at 10? I know that uh, you, like us, are, are geeked on the thought of Simmons at 10 if he's there for the Browns. The, the whole uh, Ezra Cleveland thing, possibly just to, you know, to get, you get your left tackle there. It would seem like it's sort of the best of both worlds if you can do something like that. A lot of it's going to depend on how things shake out with the teams in front of them. And the thing that we always know from a lifetime of watching the Browns and Cavs is expect the unexpected on draft day. <laughs> yeah, and the fun part there is we don't all we're not always in lockstep on this question. Sure, uh, but I think we are now. Um, now, I'm, if, if they're just going to you know sit and pick at ten, and they're just going to go conservative, and we just we need a tackle to do that. I have the guy I want. Um, and I hope it's the guy that they want. Uh, but if it's not that, and Simmons is there, or whatever, hey, if Simmons is, you know, they're at nine, and they can move up by not giving away too much, I wouldn't even be opposed to that. But the dream scenario, I think, right here is, uh, if you're watching these tackles, <clears throat> I didn't like Beckton anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, the height thing is concerning. Um and I don't like the idea that we're looking at a tackle that says, just watch the tape. He never gets beat. Well, first of all, okay, but I'm not willing to, to lay an entire franchise on the fact that he just hasn't played poorly yet. And when he goes to the next level of competition, that we're just going to assume that's going to continue. Um, Worf has some technique concerns that I'm not crazy about, but maybe that athleticism makes up for it. Wills is nice. I just don't want to swim the top ten pick on him. Um, so there's options, but I think the dream scenario is Simmons is at ten, and you find a way to come from forty-one back and and get Ezra Cleveland before someone else thinks to do so. But that uh, does bring up an interesting point. Um, while we go into this thinking the dramatic place of need is linebacker and tackle, Kinlaw's interesting. Um, especially next time, it would be very interesting. And then, if you know, if, if it's a straight back scenario, there's a linebacker out of LSU that looks really nice, um, and you could convert him to a full time outside linebacker if that's the case. So, yeah, to Chris's point, we got more options than people are perceiving that we have. Um, and I know there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be upset if by 10 they don't have a tackle, but. I think if, we, if they come out of this with Simmons and Ezra Cleveland, uh, as I've said in years past, I'm good, and you can cruise control the rest of the draft. That would be pretty awesome if that was the case. 
Let's take a moment here, just our thoughts before we move on from left tackle here. Uh, the big four in whatever order, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, Jedrick Wills Jr. from Alabama, uh, McVie Becton from Louisville, and Tristan Wirfs of Iowa. Gun to the head, which of the four do you like best? Uh, and, and in this case, with us all rooting for the Browns, who would we like to see the Browns take specifically? If Simmons is gone, if you get your pick of them. I say Wirfs, but I think he's going to be gone by then. Jason, what would be your, your one of the four? I got, I got the sense by process of elimination it was Thomas. Am I right? there. I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. Uh, Chris, same to you uh, as far as uh, gun to your head, which of the four do you like the most? Well, I, it, everything Jason just said basically has just come dribbling right out of my mouth. Um, I would I would take Thomas. Uh, the reason I would take Thomas at 10 is that um, he's proven it uh, for three years starting in the SEC at tackle first as a uh, freshman at right tackle became an All-American freshman at right tackle, moved to the left, and, and dominated the left side of the SEC for two years. Um, he has the highest floor uh, of any of these tackles. Um, he is, if any of these tackles, if you're the Browns and you're trying to win this year, and especially with this weird year of off-season, you know, how much time are we going to get with these guys? We don't know. What's training camp? What's, you know, OTAs look like? Um is the most plug-and-play, obviously, because of the experience of left tackle um, at that position. And he played a very similar style and system at Georgia that he would be asked to play at Cleveland. Um, I do think that Wills is, extreme, is very intriguing. I think I saw a stat in like his time starting in Alabama, 907 pass attempts. He only let up one sack. Wow. Um, and I would, and I would also point out that I mean, so he has the he has the raw that you look for all those tools. The only thing, again, back to how much time are you going to get with him in the off season to move him over to left tackle? And 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 you know, I I beg to differ with Andrew Barry where tackle is tackle. Um, you know, 
you're asking a guy to learn how to drive on the other side of the road. Or as somebody once said, it's like, you know, it's like suddenly having being asked to wipe your ass with your left hand now. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it could get a little messy. Um, so that's a transition. So what's this off-season look like? Do you want to risk um, There's the great upside? Uh, and don't forget, he, he did actually, at Mike Nicholas, he did protect two with blind side because two was left-handed. So in that regard, he actually, you know, has experience protecting the blind side. But it's going to be an adjustment. I don't care what anybody says. Moving for, for a guy who is never, stressing the word never, played left tackle. He was right tackle in high school and at Alabama. Um, it's all he's done is right tackle. So there's a gamble there that he can adjust and move over to the left side. But I think day one starting dominated in the SEC. Um, did we watch what um, Andrew Thomas did to Kalevon uh, Chason? I think I pronounced that right. Yeah. At LSU. Yeah. I mean, that game, I mean, Thomas destroyed him. Hi, thanks for coming out. Oh, you want to be a pro? Good luck. Um, <laughs> that was a great, great. Like, I watched that game and I was like, uh, Thomas, I mean, I came away from that at the time saying, this is the guy I want. I just watched him, you know. Dominate, and then I and I know he's dominated for two years in the SEC, not yep. the Big Twelve, not the Pac-10, not the MAC. He dominated at the SEC for really three years. First as a freshman at right tackle, so I think this, the floor is so much higher on Thomas. If you want a guy who's ready to go day one, he's your guy. Now that said, to Jason's point, is he ever going to be Joe Thomas? Is he going to be a number one tackle in the league? I don't think so. I think you're drafting a guy who's probably always going to be like, hey, he's the 11th best tackle in the league, right? He's going to be a solid pro. There's going to be nothing wrong with that pick. Are you going to get the best guy that, you know, is going to go on to a Hall of Fame career? I don't think so. But, you know, if I said to you, hey, you could have the best, you could have the 11th or 10th best tackle in the league for the next decade, would you take it? Yeah, I think a lot of people That's would. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there about best on best when you're talking about NFL draft and early to mid first round players the aforementioned matchup that Thomas had with Chase on keep in mind Chase on is projected to go no worse than later first round probably mid first round I've actually got him going 17 to the Cowboys in my mock so that's the level of playing or player that we're talking about there that uh, Thomas was matched up against through the course of his career in the SEC, so that is definitely worth 
noting. One of the things I wanted to get to, as I said, was about Jerry Judy, because again, me personally, I think he's the best prospect of the last couple of years. This is one of these things that I'm looking at in, in the mock drafts here. It might be a thing of uh, Jets going to jet, because uh, I, they, they seem to be preferring C.D. Lamb. I'm not exactly sure why. I know that they used to have Johnny Lamb Jones, but it doesn't mean you have to draft another guy with the same name. But uh, whatever their reasoning might be, uh, they, they seem to be preferring him at this point. There's talk that Denver might be looking to trade up uh, to get Judy, which uh, would be very, very uh, wise to do on their part. So uh, I want to. I'll start with you, Chris, as far as this thing here, the the wide receiver class, which is outstanding. Judy seems to be in a lot of quarters, including myself, the, the consensus number one wide receiver. But you've got Lamb right there with him, more or less, and uh, Ruggs the third. Judy's uh, college teammate right there with him as well. Also, Justin Jefferson of LSU. Uh, I'm a big Jerry Judy fan. Um, I love this kid. His route running ability is professional NFL quality now. Mm -hmm. um, just, and these are the things, I mean, you just watch him on film, you watch him in games. He just gets open, he catches the ball, he produces for you again and again and again, game after game. I, I just. Really like, really like him uh, as a potential developer. 
interesting. When you were saying late uh, round pick here, I didn't know who you were going to go with, except I was pretty sure it wasn't going to be Benjamin Victor. I was pretty sure that wasn't going to be the guy, but I didn't know who <laughs> you were going to mention. <laughs> I figured we could rule him out. So, uh, all right, turning to you, uh, Jason, your thoughts on this, Jerry Judy, somebody that you may get to see up close a lot the next couple of years, if you believe the rumors about Elway looking to trade up to uh, to get him, which would be, uh, I think, a great move uh, for Denver. But the question of uh, whether the Jets might uh, prove meet the new boss, same as the old boss, by going C.D. Lamb instead of him, there, there's all kinds of interesting things that can happen with the top of this very talented wide receiver class. Let me, let me take a step back here. I just want to put myself on record for this one. And I'm, this is not going to fit with most people. Okay. Um, I am not interested at all in moving OBJ in 2020. Okay. Not in the least. I don't. I, I said this to somebody recently. I almost don't even care what the deal is. Because uh, quite frankly, uh, like a lot of Browns fans, I just want to throw 2019 away. Okay. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's better than it's been. There's some bright points, but it's, it was so bad that I just I just want to see what happens. Give me one year of actual decent production, and then if he's still not worth it, then let's entertain this idea. Okay. Moving on from that, though. Um, I think what's going on with the Judy versus C.D. Lamb situation, because I'm, I'm picking up on that, too, is I almost think we're talking about do you want, let's say, and this I'm exaggerating, Larry Fitzgerald, which is who I think Jerry Judy is, mm-hmm. big routes, catches with his hands, very reliable, has made catch of the football in art. Um, but I think people are looking at CeeDee Lamb just because he's a little faster and he's an inch taller. I think they're thinking you're going to be the next DeAndre Hopkins, which I don't believe that is the case. But I think they're looking at the guy and say he's ideal at, you know, 6'2", running into the 4'4s, and that's great. But if you're watching them both side by side, I think if you're just talking about who is better at catching the football and getting open, I think Jerry Judy's your guy. Uh, now, is he the best for the next couple of years? I, that I don't know, uh, just because you guys feel better about the incoming college crop than I would. Um, but, yeah, if you need a wide receiver and you're not – you know, let's say in the top four, or obviously you're not going to take them there. But if you're anywhere between four and 15, and he's there, I think you're licking your chops. Um, now, I do think there's a drop-off after those two. It's not significant, but there is a little bit of a drop. Uh, so I think if you need a wide receiver, you, you really need to get one in the top 40. Um, otherwise, I, I do think it kind of drops off a little bit, but I do think the middle-round guys this year – will likely be better than middle-round guys in the very recent past. So it's a nice crop, uh, but I I definitely agree with the group that Jiggy's the guy you want if you need it. And then with Denver specifically, that's their guy. Um, That would be intriguing because uh, Cortland Sutton's nice. I'm just hesitant that he'll ever be one of those, you know, top ten guys. So, you know, Judy might be a nice addition there. They seem to be really excited about giving their new quarterback toys. So, you know, it's probably wide receiver. Whoever it is, it's going to be either CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, or Ruggs. And I'm sure Elway's going to find any way possible to make one of those three happen. 
Yeah, that's what it seems to be at this point in time here. There's some talk that uh, the way that Justin Jefferson's rising up the board that he could be in play there, but I haven't really seen too many mocks that have him going uh, to Denver. And, and again, yeah, if you're if you're Elway, you got to do everything you can to try and get in position. And one of the only reasons I think that we're not hearing Judy as a consensus top 10 guy is because of the strength of the class. That's what kind of tends to happen. It knocks everybody down a little bit when there's a thought that, oh, you may not need to get the top guy, you can get the second best guy, third best guy, whatever, and that'll still be better than uh, the top guy in a lot of other years. So in looking at this, uh, again, a really, really interesting uh, landscape here. Uh, really only a couple of positions in this draft that don't have a lot of strength to it. I would say both of the linebacker spots, safety, to me, guard and defensive tackle are, are kind of average. Everything else, I would say, is above average uh, to, to great, basically. So an interesting class all in all. I'm going to start with you, Chris. Anything that we haven't gotten to thus far that kind of jumps out at you that we should be talking about with this year's draft, whether it be certain players, what teams might do, etc. Well, let me just, um, I'm going to come back from the OBJ thing for Jason. I'm not advocating that, that you on from him, just saying that I wouldn't be shocked. I think the way some fans um, seemingly want to, you know, literally want to die on that hill. But, uh, you know, when we talk about, when we talk about linebackers, um, there are some pretty good options the second, third round uh, for teams like the Browns. And I, and I just, the Browns need linebackers badly. Uh, right, desperately. I, I think we saw, we saw enough, I think, or the lack of what we got to see out of Taki Taki last year tells us that that's nothing. Um, and who knows if he even makes his team. Um, and Mac Wilson played a lot last year, and everybody's kind of excited about that. But I want to remind everybody, yeah, he played a lot, but he also wasn't that good. Um, so, you know, he's, he's, now maybe that's, hey, rookie year, he's adjusting, whatever. You know, I, I'm not advocating dumping Mac Wilson. you got to give him another shot, see how he does in the system. But I haven't seen enough there yet that says to me, oh, this guy is going to be um, a keeper long term. To Jason's point, Patrick Queen, um, like the real deal. Kenneth Murray, we know, is, is the real deal. Should be habitable in the late first round. Vincent Long, we know he's a great human being and a real leader on the field and off the field. The kind of guy you want on your team. Uh, App State, Team Davis Gaten, he, uh, looks like a stud. He's more raw, but uh, he's a guy that you can look back at his draft and say, wow, why did people grab him in the first round? And then uh, Willie Gay Jr. at Mississippi State has all the tools and could be, a, I believe, uh, a first-rounder other than the character question marks. And I don't think for a team like, say, the Browns, they're going to be, this regime will be looking to uh, look at a player like that. My suspicion is right. that unlike John Dorsey, we're going to a different direction when it comes to the uh, quality and character of the individual. And I do like Malik Harrison, um, you know, as a third rounder out of Ohio State. You know, long time, you know, a good starting uh, linebacker, you know, serviceable, pretty was productive um, at Ohio State. And, and he's the kind of guy that's definitely seen your rotational depth. An intriguing guy for me is Logan Wilson out of Wyoming. Um, he's probably to go late second, you know, to somewhere in the mid third round range. Guy was just all over the place for Wyoming. Tackling machine, athletic, um, nose for the ball, uh, cover. I 
I just, you know, he's an interesting guy that, that, that uh, it's a step up in competition. But what we saw at, at Wyoming leaves a lot to make you think, boy, there's something there to work with. So there are some guys that are definitely available in that second and third round of rimmage. And again, because I love to talk about the Browns, anything that fits for once, you know, where the board is falling and what the Browns need, it really does feel like it's falling together for them. That if a guy like Simmons isn't at there at 10, you know, there is a linebacker or maybe a safety at 41 like Jeremy Chin that could be available who has all the measurables um, that you like to see in that position. And I would also double back and say, let's not assume Isaiah Simmons is going to play linebacker. Um, there are a lot of people who think he is a safety. Um, so that, a lot of that remains now. The way the Browns system is one team's example, and, and most teams now are playing. You know, the Browns might even try to play with three safeties on the field this year. So a guy like Simmons is extra useful in that capacity because uh, he, can, he, can, he can play both positions depending on the down um, and the distance. So, you know, there's a lot to like. Um, in, there are some players to like in the linebacker class. I think overall the linebackers are considered uh, thin, but I think there are some guys that are serviceable. Um, and the same thing goes for safety. You know, other than Casabai Simmons, it's a, it's a first round, that's a safety. I don't think there's anybody else in safety that's part of first round pick, to be frank. Um, Xavier McKinney can't cover at all, I mean at all. Um, I don't know why anybody would even draft him in the modern day NFL, but somebody will. Um, so I think that the safety, you know, a lot of people are excited about Winfield. And to me, he's too short. And you watch him, and he got burned a lot. He made some great plays and some great interceptions, and he was always a ball on. But he also got burned a lot, um, in large part because of his height. He's not even his ball being beat there. He just he couldn't, he couldn't uh, make the, the pass defense because he's too short. Um, so... You know, I think safety's a crapshoot, but if you're somebody like the Browns, you know, there's there's going to be options there in the second round at 41. Well, you know, again, if the Browns are still picking there in the second round, if they haven't traded out of that spot, either to trade up or trade back, and there is a safety that's worth taking, yes, they definitely want to do that because this is not a great year for safeties, and with what you're talking about with the Browns possibly using three safeties at a time, they are, off the top of my head, uh, three safeties short of where you would want to do that. So... Yeah, you, you better start stockpiling <laughs> safeties if you're going to do that. That's just my rough math off the top of my head. And uh, the other thing, well, Chris... you talk safety, don't don't forget that, you know, the, the Bretons drop back. Um, you know, there's options on the table. Like, once they drop back and use that extra three that they pick up and dropping back to swing over to Minnesota for Anthony Harris. Yeah. You know, so the dropping back could provide a whole bunch of extra goodies that they may do things outside of the draft with. And I think that fans should be watching for that kind of move as well. That's possible. And I got to say, just in terms of entertainment, what I regret is, Chris, that you and I are not able to troll Jason this year by putting over any Ohio Bobcats as being premium picks here, because I know we can always we can always get his goat by doing that. It's always one of the fun things, but we don't get a chance this year. Maybe next year. But uh, speaking, like the Joe Burrow from Athens, Ohio <laughs> commercial isn't enough. Yeah, close enough. I already gravy trained that one for the Bobcats. 
uh, the fact that his dad is the uh, former assistant coach there at the Harvard on the Hocking. But uh, along those lines, uh, turning to you, uh, Jason, I know that uh, you won't be putting over any uh, Bobcats, not least of which because I said just now there ain't anybody really to put over. But uh, any other players, teams, scenarios, anything we didn't get to that you figure is worth getting to? Shilling for Athens. Um, <laughs> Why does Florida Gulf Coast have anybody? <laughs> no, no, no. The Florida Gulf Coast should should probably cry themselves to sleep if they've thought about fielding a football team. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I love what Chris is getting into on the linebackers because this is really shaking out in a beneficial fashion for the Browns because. If tackle is 1A, linebacker's got to be 1B. And I really, I don't normally say this, but I really like how the linebackers feel today. It's going to shake out because even if Simmons is gone and, and he is the prize, um, I do really like Chase on. I love Queen. I really like Murray. Uh, and then as, as Galloway was going through his list, he's basically reciting off exactly the names that I'm looking at from, say, pick 25 to the top of the third round. So if they don't get one early, I'm perfectly fine with that. But if you're a team out there that needs a linebacker desperately, you're not going to want to cherry pick the fourth and fifth rounds for that. So you, you definitely want to get somebody in that grouping. Um, yep. But, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and as you guys are talking about Winfield, and that's a very – hot button sort of idea among Browns fans and again I don't mean to trample on their dreams but I get really annoyed with the we need to acquire former Buckeyes and former Browns players who had kids who became players <laughs> but don't play for the Browns right. and I feel like we're getting that with Winfield because to me He's a poor man's Bob Sanders, which is sort of exactly what you guys are talking about. Does he have talent? Yes. Is he small? Yes. Is he going to get beat? Absolutely. So, you know, I don't know how much value I put in that, but he'll probably go in a second. Um, and then in addition to that, there's some decent corners and some decent safeties you can get later. So, again, for me, uh, I just in some capacity – and if, you're, if there's another team out there looking for these two positions, you're definitely going to want to get them early, and that's linebacker and tackle, because after the second round, it really gets dicey. Now, last little thing, and I want to ship this in, in uh, OU fashion, uh, I just mentioned that the number one pass rusher in this year's class who went to Ohio State mm-hmm. is Chase Young. Yep. Chase Young is a product of the math of high school. Nice. And my godson, here comes the shilling, just signed to attend the math of high school as he was compared to one Chase Young. So, awesome. While I can't uh, really show too hard for anything right now, just know, gentlemen, within about three years, I'm going to be uh, shown pretty hard for a gentleman by the name of Michael Watts Jr. Wow. There's a real clip and save, but, uh... I, I look forward to seven years from now. Wait, how old will I be? 55. Uh, we'll be talking about Michael Watts Jr. 
Uh, and where we've got him ranked on our edge, uh, on our edge draft guy, the draft guy for whatever, whatever year that is. Well, here's here's the thing too. I, I, a similar experience uh, that I had had years ago, many years ago. Uh, my barber's son, he had a son who was uh, like basically like the best all-star shortstop in the city. This kid had MLB potential, whatever. Got a chick knocked up, and that was the end of it. So you know, you're gonna want you know a lot of jacks are good-looking kids. If this kid is, and I assume that he is. Jimmy Hats galore here, Jason. Let's make sure nothing stops him from making the pros. <laughs> uh, I assure you that uh, all all family members are uh, all on board with that idea. <laughs> uh, <but> yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't want anything to derail the train when it could be as good as that could be. So yeah, there's there is a long term sort of clip and save uh, that we can revisit later in the decade here with the lounge, but uh, this is going to be a year and a process of, of getting through this draft in a, in a way that is going to be unlike any other as far as how we watch it unfold, but how we previewed it, uh, again, in the same sterling fashion that we always do, and how we shall recap it subsequently will be in the same sterling fashion as well, so everybody has that to look forward to, but uh, in the meantime, I want to thank you guys so much, and of course, this show uh, will be embedded on the cover right about the time this show is available. You, the uh, draft guide will be available. Pro Football Draftology 2020 from FantasyDraftHelp.com, the FDH Lounge, and Sportsology available at all of those outlets. I want to thank you guys uh, a lot. Uh, Chris, this is the second time you and I have been talking football, getting ready for this thing here. Uh, you have been a constant in our lead-up to the draft. Thank you again, Chris. Thank you. Uh, you know I love every minute. It is awesome having you on, no question about it. And uh, Jason Jones, the beating heart and soul of the FantasyDraftHelp.com coverage with your player rankings, with your top 75 overall. Uh, truly the engine that drives our guide. Always uh, great to be talking football with you, my man. Oh, yes. Um, hopefully we're getting to a place where this uh, can stop being our Super Bowl, but uh, <laughs> as long as it is, I still very much enjoy it and look forward to these talks. So, uh, well, Good one again, as always, gentlemen. This is going to be awesome. I'm, I'm not rushing us through the draft because I'm looking forward to it, but I'm already looking forward to our recap conversation subsequently here and uh, picking out the winners and losers of the 2020 NFL draft. But, of course, between then and now, we have the actual draft itself to unfold, and uh, we'll be watching it uh, from quarantine along with all of you out there. So uh, thank you guys again for your participation, and thank you everybody for checking out FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1217.